On today's episode, we are going to talk about a chilling story and probably one of, if not the craziest stories to ever come out of Lake Placid, New York. I'm Matt. And I'm Meg. This is the Your Town Podcast. So as mentioned in the brief introduction, we're going to tell a very crazy and chilling story to come out of Lake Placid. And as you heard in the intro, Meg is going to be filling in for Zach again this week. And I'm super excited about it. And she's a little camera or not camera shy, well, a little camera shy, but a little mic shy. So if you're only here to listen to Meg. I do apologize. You're going to hear a lot of me, but uh, you ready to get into this? Sure. Sure. Very confidently <laughs> ready for this. So this was a topic that actually Meg found in a book that uh, that she started reading and was like, hey, we should talk about this. It was The Adirondack Ghosts by Linda Lee Mackin as uh, one of the source. We also have some cool stuff from LakePlacid.com, Adirondack.net, Q1057.com, and of course, our favorite website in the entire planet to do research, Wikipedia. So Let's jump right into this episode. And for anybody that doesn't really know, the Adirondack Mountains is obviously a mountain chain, runs through um, a vast part of New York and has over 100 communities, mountains, trails, lakes, valleys, cliffs, and is one of the best places to see leaves change in the fall. I'm going to say it on the mic. We're going to do our best. I'm going I'm to take Meg leaf watching this year. We missed it the last couple of years. I'm going to blame COVID. Yeah. So we're talking about the Adirondack Mountains. Not only is it good for being on the lake, sightseeing, checking out the leaves, but it's an absolute amazing place to go hiking, camping, and there's just a must-have for every outdoorsman, and it's blackbeardfire.com. I mean, not only is it Blackbeard, which is like a perfect fit, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be the mascot for this company, but you can get a kit that has right out of the bag a 72-hour emergency kit. It's waterproof, windproof, failproof. All of the products that they have are waterproof, windproof, just like I mentioned. You can venture into the outdoors knowing that no matter what, you will have fire under any condition for at least 72 hours. Made in the USA, non-toxic and odorless, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check them out again, blackbeardfire.com slash beardlaws or use code beardlaws at checkout. And I mean, you have a couple of great reviews. David H. Love these so far. How uh, heavy the flint stick is. Way better than any generic one. Uh, they have an absolute amazing arc lighter. Waterproof, windproof, 300 plus ignites on a single charge. You're going to get a dual arc beam for more heat. Ready to use right out of the box. And you can just charge it up. You don't have to fuel it up or anything. Comes with a lanyard and USB charging cord. So many cool things. The captain's loot kit. The ultimate fire starter kit. Fire plugs. Fire starters. Anything you need, again, blackbeardfire.com. Use code BEARDLOSS. Save some money. All right, let's hear more about the lady in the lake and less about this. Okay. It really is a sight to see, though. It, 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 no, it's un, it's unbelievable. And uh, like I said, Lake Placid, definitely one of the places. There's a couple other small towns, but we're, we're going leafing. That's, that's what the tourists call it, right? We're going leafing. Lake Placid also happens to be kind of one of those communities that, as mentioned, is in the Adirondack Mountain area. 
Lake Placid has a lot of wild stories. The Miracle on Ice, you might have heard of, unless you're not a sports fan, then you probably never heard of it. It happened during the 1980 Olympics. It was one of the most iconic memories in hockey for many people around the world that nobody, especially sports fans, are going to forget and is often talked about, especially in this area. Uh, there is another story, though, that has many people in the area and for a while around the nation and hopefully all of you listeners talking about as well. It is called The Lady in the Lake. Dun, dun, dun. There it is. Two times in a row. I like it. No, it's not the 1947 movie starring Robert Montgomery, The Lady in the Lake. The terrible tragedy, uh, tragedy, that's a tough word to say, that is so wild it's almost hard to believe. So without further ado, you want to jump into this? Let's jump. All right, let's jump. Wow, that's probably a bad thing to say for this uh, episode. Yeah, probably. Okay, we're not going to jump. We're just going to we're just going to go. The lady in the lake has a name and it's Mabel Smith Douglas, which I'm very excited to say that one because if you've listened to any of the podcast episodes, there's a lot of very hard names that I can't pronounce. So, Mabel Smith Douglas. Before we uh, we shouldn't say this. Before we get right into this, I, I wrote in my notes, jump into it. Why is she known as the lady in the lake? Let's give you a little backstory of her life before we obviously talk about the lady in the lake so douglas attended public school in jersey city in 1899 so not too long ago she graduated from barnard college in new york city in 1903 she married william shipman douglas who was owner of ws douglas and company it was a butter egg and cheese business it's pretty good business right mm. i love all those things butter eggs and cheese so uh thanks william shipman douglas for all of that. So she had a lifelong dream of opening an all-women's college, a companion college to Rutgers, the New Jersey State University, home of Brian Leonard. She was forced to give up that dream, though, in 1915, as she suffered some pretty major health issues. But then in 1916, tragedy strikes this family for the first time as her husband, William, passes away and she is forced to raise two small children, William Jr. and Edith. She also is forced to run the business, W.S. Douglas, which we mentioned before. So, I mean, that's a lot to take on. That's that's terrible. And unfortunately for this woman, it continues to get worse. The New Jersey mm -hmm. College for Women opened in 1918, and Douglas was able to finally live her lifelong dream as she was appointed the first Dean. For the next five years, her dream is fulfilled, and she is a legend at this school. She gives countless hours of devotion to the school for the young women of the college. She works all day. She works all night. Rumor has it that she would even sleep on a cot on campus just so she could work late and get up early. I mean, that's a lot. Very devoted. Very devoted. Uh, unfortunately, though, you know, being, I guess, a single mother in that time, because I think times were definitely different. They probably, you know, uh, remarrying and all that stuff, I, I think it was a little bit frowned upon, did probably, you know, uh, play play a tough part in the children's life as she spent most of, you know, those five years just at the school. But then uh, uh, why I'm guessing that is because another tragedy happened September 9th. 1923, her son, William Jr., commits suicide in their home. So we have the, mm. the, the father, the son, they both pass away. And I mean, that's a that's a terrible thing for anybody to go through. And uh, obviously, following the terrible losses, she does receive quite a few achievements. And uh, she received an honorary doctorate of laws. She opened the Voorhees Chapel on campus, which... 
once we get into the story a little bit more, I think it's a very eerie coincidence to Jason Voorhees of Friday the 13th. Maybe. Which also took place at a lake, mm-hmm. which also potentially took place at a lake in New York, Crystal Lake. Ooh. I mean, that's that's a weird coincidence, right? Slight. I don't know the why it was named that. Obviously, it's not her name, but I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to do a little more research on that and do a follow up. But either way, after that, she was then appointed to the New Jersey State Board of Education, and in 1930 was the first woman to receive the Columbia University Medal for Distinguished Public Service. She then also gets another honorary doctorate. That's two for anybody keeping track at home from Russell Sage College. She was then given another a special award from the French government for promoting the French language education in the U.S. Uh, again, in the book and in these articles that we we sourced at the beginning of the episode, there was a really cool fancy name for this. I couldn't pronounce it, so that's why I just said the French government gave an award. <laughs> it was really tough. Did you see it? Uh, I did. Oh, French was not my strong suit. English barely is. So even with all of these, you know, the the two honorary doctorates and all these amazing awards opening this, you know, center on campus, obviously just kind of overcoming the tragedies is definitely too much on her. Uh, I, thankfully, I cannot relate, but I couldn't imagine. She had a nervous breakdown, takes a leave of absence from the college, and then commits herself to a private mental hospital in Westchester County. Uh, I did a little bit of research, and back then in the 19, you know, early, what are we in, 19... 19- 30s in in that area. One of the private hospitals that was prevalent in that area was called the Grasslands Hospital. So uh, if you've heard of this hospital, if it's still this hospital, you have something to relate to and you can say, hey, that's near me. Cool. Just let us know in any of the comments that that's near you. That'd be pretty cool. So she then stays in the hospital for a year. And then upon her release, she resigns to the college and decides to go to the family Camp Onondaga, which is on Lake Placid, as her daughter brought her there for kind of like a mental reprieve. I mean, being in beautiful Lake Placid on their camp, Onondaga, I mean, just a beautiful thing. I feel like that's a good move for the for the mental reprieve. It's beautiful up there. It is fall time, you know, so she decides, hey, I'm going to go out. I'm going to kind of just grab some leaves. I want to do some decorating. And like we've already mentioned, the Adirondacks has some of the best views, some of the best leaves, and some great fall decor. But for whatever reason, she then launches the family boat and paddles for a couple of miles to what is Pulpit Rock, which is directly across from their camp and is the deepest part of the lake. Some even say the water's depth in that area is fathomless. Let's keep in mind, too, that the fall in this area is pretty chilly. Yeah. The temperatures are pretty cold. Very cold. So going out in the boat isn't there unless potentially you're fishing or maybe in that times working some kind of job on the water or having to use this transportation. But yes, extremely cold. So what happens next is actually reported a couple of years later from what they say are two working men, which sounds like a weird band name, but it's actually two men that were out there working. Any guesses on what they were doing for work? Because I have no idea. They were in a boat though, right? I yeah, I believe they were in the boat or they were or they were on shore. It just the the, the book said in the articles that we said just said uh, a report came years later because there wasn't really any information. These two men finally stepped forward and said, Hey, we saw her on the lake, standing in the boat with a veil over her head. 
Apparently, they then claim she throws something into the lake and followed it into the water after the boat overturns. And like Meg said, the lake, super cold this time of the year. Super cold. The two men then get to the area where she had jumped and turned the boat back over. Did notice that the oars were neatly tucked under the seats and there was just no trace of her. So maybe they were already in the water or maybe they saw her go in the water, got in the boat, and then got out there. It's not really clear, but uh, either one definitely could happen. They they did rule her death an accident, and then nothing really else just kind of comes from it. Speaking of nothing really coming from it, sometimes you might get a little disgruntled. You might get a little upset and saying, you know, my beard growth isn't really, you know, what it what it should be, what I want it to be, and my beard goals just aren't getting hit. But if you guys check out Copper John's Beard Company or just go to thebestbeardproducts.com, you're going to be able to get the only beard company that uses ionic inland sea minerals for your beard. And you're going to have the best beard that you can grow. And you're going to have just to have a little bit of patience, but you're going to have the proper products. You're going to have a nice, big Copper John's beard. Again, check them out. Copperjohnsbeard.com or thebestbeardproducts.com. All right, let's get back into this episode and hear the end of The Lady in the Lake. Which is a little bit strange. Mm -hmm. 30 years. Almost to the day, September 15th, 1963, a body is found. A group of scuba divers were exploring the area of Lake Placid near Pulpit Rock, one of the deepest parts of the lake. Keep in mind, they were approximately 100 feet below the surface. The first two divers, Air Force Sergeant Richard N. All right. Uh, His last name is pretty hard to pronounce, so I'm skipping it. Richard N. is what we're going to refer to. And Jimmy Rogers. Could be a country singer. Sounds like a much easier North Country name. They uh, they saw an eerie white mannequin. So they thought. Upon further inspection, and to their great surprise, I don't know if great surprise, but to their surprise, the divers realized the figure was not a mannequin at all. It was actually a preserved corpse of a woman. Could you imagine? 30 years later. Almost to the day. What are the chances? I mean, that's eerie in itself, right? Uh, yeah. Ugh. So... The pair that were down there, Jimmy and Sergeant, uh, not Sergeant Pepper, Sergeant Richard, they noticed a 50-pound anchor was tied to the corpse neck with a short rope. When they uh, tried to bring the body to the surface, the woman's facial features, they just started to disintegrate. And her arms, her head, they all just start falling apart. And what we have kind of did some research and found in a lot of these articles that the combination of the frigid water temperatures and the chemical salts in the water actually turn the fatty tissues pretty much into a soap. And uh, that, that is why the body actually, you know, the parts started to come off the bone and why the skin was kind of hard, waxy and white, which gave the divers the initial impression that it was, you know, um, a mannequin that was made of plastic and that's pretty wild. 30 years, almost a preserved corpse in a pretty populated body of water, mm-hmm. but 100 foot down, just pretty, undisturbed. It's pretty deep. That's, that's a pretty deep body of water. So 
And it was also reported that as Jimmy was kind of waiting in uh, waiting with the body, uh, Richard went to the surface. They were going to get some more help so they could, you know, get this out properly. But Jimmy was waiting there in this very deep, dark water. And he just started to grow very kind of like disconcerned, Um, just kind of just very uneasy feeling uh, the way that Mabel was looking like almost it was reported that she could just wake up at any second. So then Jimmy just said, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and just bring her body to the surface. And that's when things started to fall apart, like actually (laughs) fall apart. Um, Since Douglas's disappearance was the only unsolved, um, you know, mystery in, in case in Lake Placid, the investigators were able to determine that the recovered corpse was actually her. But by the time that her body was recovered, unfortunately, there were no living relatives that could actually claim her. More tragedy. Douglas's daughter actually committed suicide in 1948 after the death of her husband. So officials from Douglas College managed the funeral arrangements. I mean, just terrible. I mean, the, the, the depression, the 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 tragedy that this poor family has went through is just unbelievable and and you might have noticed that i did say douglas college so in her honor after the death i i I forget the exact time frame they named the college the all-women college that she was the first dean of they actually renamed the entire college to douglas college in in honor of her and um her, her disappearance and everything like that so Douglas was buried in Brooklyn's Greenwood Cemetery, which is also the final resting place of her husband and children. Although her body was recovered, Douglas's spirit may have never left her watery grave. Many people have reported to this day that they see a ghostly figure of a woman kind of hovering near Pulpit Rock. And these sightings by campers and boaters have kept the legend of the Lady in the Lake alive to this day. Mabel Smith, Douglas's story has been immoralized by uh, two local authors. In 1983, Bernard F. Connors published Dance Hall, a fictionalized version of the mystery that features a young woman who was violently murdered, which, again, fictionalized because none of that happened, at least in anything that we saw. But then two years later, in 1985, A Lady in the Lake was published by George Christian Ortloff, This version attempted to reveal the truth behind the mystery, but wound up noting that there were conflicting aspects to the tale. So interesting. uh, I I know personally, I think we should get a copy of A Lady in the Lake. We should read it. And by we, I think you should read it, Meg. And then we'll (laughs) see how close our research to the story that George Christian Ortloff actually found. And then maybe we'll do a follow-up episode. I also found it interesting that um the sightings of her really didn't start until they recovered the body yeah it's almost like they you know they they disturb the grave you you kind of always hear on tv she was resting peacefully yeah everything was good yeah. 30 years of everything good they i mean i'm gonna be honest if that's me down there i'm, I'm peaceful whatever's going on then you lift me up and my head and my arms my skin everything falls apart i'm gonna probably be pissed too mm-hmm. I don't know. Hopefully I don't have to find that out for many, many years. But uh, yeah, no, cool story, Meg. Thank you for finding this and uh, doing this podcast. It's a pleasure as always. Um, at some point, I think Zach is going to come back. He, he's got a couple of stories that he's going to write. I know that I've written two other articles and myself and Meg are going to continue. So you're going to hear either myself, me and Meg, 
me and Zach, we're gonna have a combo of some people because it is your town, your stories, and there's many towns and many stories that we want to share. So this is uh, this is fun. And as always, we're gonna end with a quote, and I found this one to be a little bit uh, relevant to this uh, to this episode. So tragedy is a tool for the living to gain wisdom, not a guide by which to live. It was by Robert Kennedy. So again, this is the Your Town Podcast episode eight. That's all we got. You got anything else? Nope. All right. That's a wrap. We'll see you next time for episode nine. I'd give you a spoiler and I'd give you a little bit of a teaser on what it is, but to be honest, I don't quite know. The only thing I do know is we will be back in your ear holes. Hopefully 1230 every Monday is when this comes out. Eastern Standard Time. So again, thank you for listening. If you've made it to the end, we really do appreciate it. And uh, that's all we got. Till next time.